welcome to the conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and your patients. In this episode, the conversation is about the Living Longer, Living Better Guide for Senior Centers and Area Agencies on Aging. We break from our regular format of host Kathy Ray leading the conversation to that of our guest moderator, Dr. Joanne Burke. She brings together guests Dan Mustard from Mill Race Center, Sue Lamborn from Thrive Alliance, Steve Gwynn from Area 5, and Julie Miller, IU Health Tipton Hospital. Each shared their experience with using the guide and discusses how their organization is working together to make a difference. This is the first part in a four-part series. Let's get this conversation started. Well, welcome to the conversation today. QSource is very excited to present a series of podcasts featuring Dr. Burke and her guests focusing on her community project, Living Longer, Living Better. Dr. Burke has a diverse professional background with a focus on elder care issues in public health and research. She is also an associate professor at St. Mary's College and a part-time instructor for the doctoral nursing program at St. Mary's as well. She's very active in her community work. She is the chair of the Indiana Commission on Aging, she serves on the board of directors for QSource, Real Services, and Area 5. And she founded and co-chairs the Tipton Community Care Coalition. The guide that we will be discussing today was developed at the request of the Indiana Commission on Aging and vetted by 14 state organizations. The purpose of the guide is to encourage local communities and their healthcare providers to develop more age and dementia-friendly initiatives as Indiana implements public policies that will move older adults away from institutional care and into the home and community-based care. Through a QSource Community Partnership Grant and the existing QSource initiatives, work is being done in Tipton, Brown, Randolph, and Marshall counties to encourage the use of the guide. So let's get the conversation started. Thank you, Dr. Burke, for being here and for all your guests. Would you like to introduce them? Yes, thank you very much. Um, I am talking with you today with my hat as chair of the Indiana Commission on Aging. And uh, as Kathy said, we are very much encouraging local communities throughout Indiana to utilize our guide that we have developed and to uh, try to put in place more Asian dementia-friendly initiatives, especially during this time of a lot of transformation of uh services for older adults in Indiana as the state changes some of its policies. Today, I'm very happy to have uh, with me to discuss how senior centers can become more involved uh, in working with the area agencies on aging and promoting these age and dementia-friendly initiatives within Indiana communities. So with me today, I have Dan Mustard. Dan, would you, uh, he is um, 
and administrator at Melray Center in Columbus. Would you like to give a little bit more of your introduction, Dan? Sure. My my background was originally in disability services, and then I made the transition into senior services in 2014. Um, and I also serve on the Commission on Aging. And so, you know, through that, um, I became interested in the work that Dr. Burke was doing with the Living Longer, Living Better Guide. And, and um, we had a discussion about how senior centers um, can also play a role in, in moving the work forward. Well, thank you so much, Dan. We also have with us today Sue Lanborn, who is with Thrive Alliance in Columbus and is with the uh, Area Agency on Aging in Dan's community. So, Sue, would you please introduce yourself? Thanks for having me today, Dr. Burke. My name is Sue Lanborn, and um, I am from Thrive Alliance. Uh, we are Region 11, um, Area on Aging. Um, and I became very interested in the Dementia Friendly America initiative about three years ago and have done um, a lot of work within the community on dementia friendly initiatives. Um, so I'm very excited to be here today to talk about senior citizen centers um, and how they can um, partner with their local area on aging. Thank you, Sue. We also have with us today Steve Gwynn who is a program director or is the program director with Area 5 in Logansport. And that area agency on aging serves Tipton, where I have been active in developing a local community care coalition. So, Steve, would you introduce yourselves a bit, please? Thank you, Dr. Burke. I'm thrilled to be here today. Um, Dementia care is a, is a passion of mine, as well as our agency. Um, you know, as part of our mission, we provide programs and services that benefit um, not only the low income and disadvantaged, but older persons. And this is um, something that will, uh, you know, dementia care benefits the people who care for those older people. And um, having some personal experience with that myself, it's it's a pleasure to be able to um spearhead some programs and initiatives through Area 5 that will help everybody involved. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Okay, thank you very much. This is Joanne. Thank you very much, Steve. I would like to talk a little bit about the guide here and how, how this came about. Several years ago, I attended a meeting given by the QIO, Quality Improvement Organization, QSource in northern Indiana, and they were talking about their uh, initiative for community care coalitions, and they were working in selected parts of Indiana. And I had begun to do some, while I lived in South Bend, I had begun to do some work down here in Tipton County where I grew up and knew that I would eventually be retiring down here. And it's a rural area that really has few social service providers, and we have only one critical access hospital and one nursing home down here and one assisted living facility. We're served, as I said, by Area 5 uh, Agency on Aging. And so I talked with our local community foundation and they encouraged me to do some work with our local senior center and began to work with strengthening services for older adults down here because Tipton is projected to have 
the uh, second largest percentage of older adults by 2050. So we knew we needed to do some some strengthening of services down here. So I asked QSource if they would informally support me in developing a local community care coalition, even though this was not one of their areas they had been focusing on in Indiana. And uh, they graciously have been doing that since that time. And so we were able to pull together a number of interested individuals in the community, as well as social service and healthcare organizations, and uh, have been meeting every other month for about five years. Now, COVID, of course, we, we had to change some of the way we were meeting, and we met virtually a few times, but it's uh, changed us a bit. But we have been able to, over that period of time, address several issues which would now be considered social determinants of health. We were able to bring $9.2 million worth of affordable senior housing to the Tipton community. We were able to help our local senior center with a grant to get an additional bus for senior transportation. We also supported Area 5 in bringing a guardianship program, which they piloted in Tipton. And we have been, uh, we have held educational meetings for the community that would help people understand Medicare, Medicaid better and how to apply for services and utilize the services of the Area Agency on Aging. So we have made some headway in what I would call addressing social determinants of health. We also have been a major uh, supporter of the local senior center in helping, helping them strengthen some of their services. So we, out of that work, I made a presentation to the Indiana Commission on Aging about two years ago, and they asked me to develop a guide based on some of the work that was done here in Tipton that could be used by other communities to help promote age and dementia-friendly initiatives across the state of Indiana. And as I did that, I became very aware of how important it was for the area agencies on aging to be very, very closely involved in this work and 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 be a partner in it with with other organizations as they have been area 5's been very involved in the Tipton Community Care Coalition and we were um, the other part that that became very clear to me was we needed to work very closely with healthcare providers so that transitions of care could be improved well, now we're at a really, really interesting time in Indiana, as Indiana is, through its public policies, deinstitutionalizing the care of older people who will meet nursing home level of care and will qualify for Medicaid services. So this will take place, it is projected to take place in, by January of 2024. Now, at this point in time, Indiana is long overdue for some some changes, uh, some reform of some of its policies regarding long-term services and supports. 
uh, we have been lagging in in our um, quality of our our work in the uh, AARP survey for for scorecard for states. So these changes are long overdue, uh, and the development and implementation of these changes as Indiana moves from fee-for-service to a managed care system is just underway right now, and we're not exactly sure what all the form of that will take, but we do know that it's going to happen. And here's what's important. For the people that will be qualifying for nursing home level of care, and will meet Medicaid qualifications in 2024. All new applicants, the, the target is that 75% of those people will receive home and community-based services, and only 25% will be going into institutional, or that is nursing home care. Right now, over 60% of the nursing home beds in Indiana are paid by Medicaid. So this is going to be quite a change, and we know that our communities and our our families and older adults probably are not aware of how much they will be impacted by this change, but we will have many more people aging at home. This is being driven by both COVID and the, the, the problems that happened in congregate living during COVID and also by cost. My husband and I are both at the top of the baby boomers. There are oceans of us. Medicaid is funded by taxes, and uh, we are in a, in a state that is rather tax-averse. Uh, voters are tax-averse, so we're going to have to deal with more people needing some services. Uh, so we're making some changes. So the Indiana Commission on Aging asked me to to develop this guide, and we did it with the assistance of, as I said, about 14 other state organizations. About two months ago or three months ago, Dan Mustard, who is on the commission with me, approached me and said, I wonder if senior centers in Indiana can't play a, a strong role in, in helping lo local communities become more age and dementia friendly. And we met and we met with the area agency on aging in um, the Columbus area and began to put together some ideas for this. And so this podcast will simply be a discussion of how we see working together with our area agencies on aging who are by, by federal law, uh, they exist under the Older Americans Act at the federal level. The Administration for Aging is responsible at the federal level. At the state level, there has to be a state unit on aging, and um, that is the Indiana Division of Aging. And regionally, we have 15 area agencies on aging serving 16 planned service areas in Indiana. And so they have functions that are set out for them regarding older adults that are set up by federal law. So they are in every community. We don't have senior centers in every community, but it's wonderful. Uh, I think this gives an opportunity for senior centers and area agencies on aging to work together uh, to help these local communities become more age and dementia friendly and to support the family caregivers 
that will be caring for more of their loved ones at home as Indiana makes some of these changes. Dan, how did you see, you know, you came to me with, with this idea for, for senior centers to become more involved. Uh, how do you see this role as they address uh, some of these issues in local communities? Yeah, this is Dan Mustard with Millray Center. Um, for for our purposes, one of the things that we really saw was that the the role of the AAAs is is pretty clear um, by statute. Not so much so for senior centers because um, the the different varieties of senior centers um, exist throughout the state, and in each one is very different. We we have a coalition that has formed recently, and one of the things that we found was it was it was difficult in some ways to even define what a senior center is, because depending on the location, um, depending on the resources available, we all kind of serve different roles. But what we do have in common is the fact that um, much of the services that are geared towards seniors are based on kind of a medical model. Um, traditionally, what we have done is, is wait for people to become um, infirm um, as they age, and then we provide services. We have done um, less work in the area of helping people stay well. And that's one area where senior centers are well positioned to be able to provide those types of wellness services. And there is some overlap. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Sue, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, But for us, the one thing that we can really bring to the table is the number of self-advocates, because I think moving forward, that's going to be a really, really powerful force. And it's not just folks who are requiring care and have people who are advocating for them, but the folks themselves who can go to their their cities, their counties, um, you know, can address the issues themselves, which is much more powerful. Um, quite often, if if we as an agency um, went to a, a local um, political entity and said, you know, we need to figure out a way to start funding some of these services, it's very self-serving and it can be interpreted that way that we're just trying to find you know, money to keep our doors open. It's a different conversation when the folks themselves are going to those meetings and they're talking about what they themselves need individually to be able to stay in their home, to be able to um, continue to work in their communities and contribute in their communities and the kinds of supports that they need. So that's, a, I think, a much more powerful discussion. And that's an area where senior centers, um, whatever their model, can kind of help facilitate that kind of conversation and and um, help people to have the tools to be better self-advocates um, at, at that level. So I think that's really our role is not so much to drive things, but to give um, seniors who are out in the community uh, the tools that they need to, to be their best self-advocates. This is Joanne. So um, what you're discussing would be, People could go to their local elected officials or to boards of zoning, et cetera, and could could advocate for better crosswalks, for changes in zoning laws, uh, signage on the roads themselves. And so this brings a group of older adults who could could definitely be a powerful force politically to help improve social determinants of health in their communities. Absolutely. Yeah, this is Dan. And and I, I think we, we have a tendency to forget that the baby boomers 
were the folks who probably more than any generation have have affected social change um, in a way that we've never seen before. They were the ones who, you know, um, were protesters in the during the Vietnam era. They were marched during civil rights. I mean, this is a very powerful group and they know how to get the work done. They've done it before. Um, so it's it's dusting off some skills that they've used in the past. So I think, you know, it would be wrong to underestimate their ability to get things done because they've proven that they can they can do that. So I'm going to ask you from an area agency uh, on aging perspective, thinking about your work with social determinants of health and how you may interface with in the Columbus area with with the senior center there, your thoughts about about how the area agencies are working to address social determinants of health in your communities. This is Sue Lamborn and um, Thrive Alliance has embraced the social determinants of health model. We do know that health behaviors, clinical care, social and economic factors, and physical environment pl- play a great deal um, in the social determinants and, and, you know, the outcomes for that. Um, you know, we we want to look at issues of um, diet and, ex- and exercise. So what, what we were able to do is that we do have some monies available, and we were able to train um, a mill race employee to become certified in the matter of balance. So we partnered with the the Senior Citizen Center here locally, Millray Center, in order to do that program. The other program um, in terms of um, health and exercise and healthy behaviors that we were able to partner with Millray Center on was a program called Bingo Size, which is a nutritional um, evidence-based program. So um, in working with the wellness activities that that Dan brought up, you know, we've been able to do some partnership level with Millray Center. We're planning for more of them, especially when it comes to dementia-friendly America issues and community issues. Um, Recently, um, us as a group, Dan Mustard included, met with a local civic lab to look at the Coalition for Aging um, and, and for care. You know, Joanne brought up the comment that there's baby boomers and she's on the, the higher end. Well, I'm I'm at the very end of baby boomer spectrum, if you will. But there's more millennials alive now than there are baby boomers alive now. And to take a look at how can we get our communities communities ready um, and age friendly, um, knowing what's going to take place in 2024 for, for not only baby boomers, but the generations that follow. Thank you, Sue. And that kind of brings me, I'm, I'm going to, um, go to Steve Gwynn now. Area 5 has been very involved with the local community care coalition here in, in Tipton. So, uh, I'm going to just, just ask a question. Uh, we hadn't discussed that a whole lot before, but it, it came out into my mind as Sue was talking. As Indiana moves more toward more older people living at home instead of being in institutional care, I know the area agencies on aging are taking a look at how to support family caregivers at home. Um, if you think about some of the programming that you may have, I don't know what you might have in your plan that you submitted to the state regarding family caregiving, dementia care, anything you want to address here, Steve, in 
your area five plan to to address some of these social determinants of health or some of the things that we see that might be coming along with family caregivers. Your thoughts? Okay, uh, this is Steve Gwynn from Area Five. I um, have a lot to say actually about everything you just mentioned. The um, the family support is huge for us. We are trying to develop and, and initiate new programs in all of our counties because we serve six. Sometimes funding becomes an issue, um, but our goal and our hope is to support the people who are the caregivers because. Um, we have case management and we have options counseling and that can support directly the um, person affected by dementia. But we really see the need, the greater need for the support for the caregivers. And so we have the dementia friendly, um, the dementia friend initiative here within our community that we have tried to train all of our staff because we feel foundationally if we train the staff first and then educate the community um, that is a support in and of itself to the caregiver, because once we educate um, those around us about dementia and its issues and how to approach people with dementia and how to, um, you know, involve yourself with them and engage with them, that to us seemed like a really big need in all of our communities, not just here where we are located. Um, we also, in our options counseling with the with the changes that are coming, um, are a little concerned about manpower, of course, because with the greater number, as you say, you know, you're you're an ocean of people in that that baby boomer range. Um, with the larger number of people being ready for those services and qualifying for those services, um, that's going to make it difficult. I don't, I don't think just for our agency, but for every agency to manage and properly care for and support those people at home. So we're hoping to beat the curve. We're hoping to be ahead of the game and to have our things, um, our programs in place, our support in place. We want to support other entities who are already providing services. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. We want to just expand. And so we're hoping to be ahead of the game so that when the time comes, uh, we have the supports in place, so we it'll be a smoother transition, hopefully. As far as our senior centers go, we're really blessed in this building in Cass County to have our senior center attached right here to our agency. Um, we partner with all of the senior centers in all of our counties to educate as much as possible those people who, for instance, receive our nutrition meals. And we send educational materials um about support and programming to those people directly. So if they see it or their family sees it, that's one way to connect with them in black and white. And we feel that's very important to to connect with them directly and to provide that information, not just once, but often. And in a variety of um, ways, we, we have media blitzes that we do um, through Facebook and our marketing director does the newsletter and website and different forms of media so that hopefully the more we put it out there in different ways, somebody's going to get the information. And that's really our goal right now is to educate, 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 because the more we educate, the more prepared everyone's going to be when this happens, if that makes sense. This is Joanne. Other people with thoughts now. What I'm hearing is as we look more and more in Indiana at older adults being at home, either 
in their own residences or living with their children. We're going to have more of that going on. People will be living intergenerationally more. It's somewhat a little bit like going back to the way my grandparents were cared for by their families before we had the nurse, before we had nursing homes. Nurse, the nursing home industry was built on Medicare and Medicaid. Before that, there were very few people in institutional, older people in institutional care. Now, we're going to have more older people living in the community alone or with family. And that's why we brought up the family caregivers. And I want to say in this podcast, I am seeing this deinstitutionalization of the care of older adults is as will have as great an impact as when the when the state of Indiana and other states deinstitutionalized orphanages and children went into foster care. And then the second great deinstitutionalization was the deinstitutionalization of state mental hospitals when people were taken out of the hospital, put in the community, and supposed to be followed by mental health uh, organizations in their communities. I think this is as great, it will have as great an impact as those two deinstitutionalization moves meant. So it is going to be very important to local communities to pre- get prepared for this. Steve, you wanted to say something? Yes, Joanne, this is Steve. Uh, in that vein, support doesn't just mean support groups or support in that fashion. Um, sometimes it means um, expanding the outreach so we can tell them where to find. We want to disseminate good information. Um, but support can also mean providing activities for the clients themselves, for the families to do with the um, person who's affected by dementia. Because when you are deinstitutionalizing, as you say, and putting them back in the home, keeping them in the home and, and them staying in the home is, for us, not healthy for anyone 100% of the time, 24-7. So we have to have safe places for um, dementia patients to be welcomed and to be involved. And so whether it's an exercise class or or whatever it is, that's why we felt it was so important to educate our employees first so that in your programs, when the time comes, we can include people of all ages, of all care levels, that um, they'll still have some place to go outside their home for stimulation and for um, interaction and engagement. And that's good not only for the, the patient themselves, but for that family. So that's one of our agenda items as well. And I think so, too. This is Sue, um, to, to piggyback on what Steve just said, is that the socialization piece is very important. And what we've learned through COVID-19, I think we already knew this, was that people um, declined cognitively because of the lack of social interaction and because of the increase in isolation. Um, so we, we want to look at, like Steve said, is what are those issues? Where, 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 and what are those things that we can do together with the Senior Citizen Center, with Millray Center in this case, um, to, to make an impact on making our communities more age and dementia friendly. The other piece, too, is that I think that in each community, they're going to need to identify the local assets that they have in that community. And I think it's going to be 
it's going to vary in each community um, with it on who, you know, what's already happening and who, you know, who, who is going to be the go-to as, you know, what, what are the local assets? What are the um, local strategies and coalitions already put in place? And how can we best partner with them? Because that, you know, we were talking this morning and there's a lot of coalitions in Columbus. How can we pull these coalitions together? Because most of them have to do with social determinants of health. They have a smoking coalition to, to decrease tobacco use. Um, they have a healthy communities coalition for healthy behaviors. So how, what can we do as an organization in partnership with Mill Race Center in order to, to bring the coalitions together so that we're all maybe on the same page, big picture wise with the community? Um, and, you know, we even talked this morning about what about it being a blue zone? And that's our goal is that Columbus, Bartholomew's County becomes a blue zone community. And how can we do that together by pulling on local assets? You can feel free to edit that. <laughs> Sue, this is Steve. I would totally agree with that because, again, that's what this is about. That's what this podcast and the coalition does. That's our job to educate so people know what we're doing and to engage with others so we know what they're doing. Because once this comes, it's it's just like options counseling for anything else, for any other services. We need to know what's available. We need our staff to know how to direct and guide. And I believe that you're exactly right. Um, that's why we have to do this now. So when the time comes, we're not scrambling. We're prepared for what's coming down the road. This is Kathy. I just want to slide in some information that the way we message this to the community and the way we message this to the families without instilling fear, but providing them with concrete steps um, we've got every day in our families, we have situations personally, professionally, where we can name a family that has failed in the community. They have gone home. They have tried everything under their power. They've gotten crisis training on how to do ADLs for mom and dad, how to do their finances for mom and dad without the proper training and education. And it's usually been in a crisis mode where they're having to learn quickly. So QSource is very excited to support and take the next steps with living longer, living better, and getting the, this, the concrete steps out to the community so that we can do proper education with the families without instilling the emotional fear that's going to be, it's going to be present because of the, the pressure that they're under. So. Well, this is Joanne from the Indiana Commission on the Aging side. It's really exciting to see people come together, organizations come together. And, and because it's the only way we're going to make all of this work, we can make it work. I mean, we could take care of our older adults in our communities, but we're going to have to do things a bit differently. And, uh, as Steve said, I mean, uh, to be able to take a loved one who has advanced dementia to dinner and have a restaurant understand that the wait staff understand, well, this may take just a little bit longer in order to get the order and in order to, uh, to set the plate where it needs to be set and so forth. We can do training in our community so our businesses are, are more, uh, uh, understanding of 
people with with needs as they get older, uh, there are things we can do. And so I think to address this at a local level and to see senior centers, area agencies on aging, and healthcare providers, I'm really jumping up and down on them and encouraging them to see senior centers and area agencies on aging. We're all partners in healthcare. That's what the social determinants of health are saying. 80% of our well-being is not done in a clinical health setting. It's not done in a hospital. It's not done in the doctor's office. It's done in our communities and in our homes. And so we need to pay attention to that. You can't just run and get a pill and get this taken care of. It's our lifestyle. It's how, 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 whether we have access to good food, good housing, transportation to get places. That's what we're talking about. So it's exciting from the Indiana Commission on Aging perspective to see people working together. And that's what we we want us to do. We have never had this many people live this long before. And really, we don't know how to do it. We're going to learn how to do it by bringing us together and figuring this out at a local level. So this is very exciting. Dan, do you have some more thoughts for, for uh, as we've talked about uh, this afternoon for, for senior centers? Yeah, one of the things that I, I think is really important for senior centers to understand is that the guide is in, extremely flexible, which it needs to be because um, senior centers follow so many different models, and there's not a standard funding stream for any senior center. Most communities use um, you know a variety of models to fund their local senior center. And the guide is is very flexible in that, and and it it also doesn't determine that only a senior center can be the lead organization. Um, it, a lot of it depends on what resources are available in the community, and whether or not a senior center has you know the capacity. A uh, Millray Center is is a pretty large senior center. We have nearly two thousand members, but there are other senior centers that occupy a storefront, and they might be a congregate meal site, so they're just not going to have. The capacity, they can be a team member, um, but they may not be the one that drives that. And so I think that, you know, that's the beauty of the guide is that it, it is very flexible and it can be used, I think, in virtually any community. Um, the principles are there. Um, it's not necessarily going to dictate how that should happen, but it certainly starts the conversation. And I think that senior centers are in a great position to be able to, to be the ones who can um, initiate that conversation and maybe pull some people together. And even if they don't have the resources to um, push everything over the finish line, they can certainly get everything started and and be a, a major player. I think the other part that um, is very important is that senior centers can also begin to have conversations about adult day services, um, whether or not they have the capacity to to provide adult day services for folks with dementia or memory care issues. Um, they can certainly bring that up in in their local communities because right now, again, Indiana is way behind on the national average for adult day services. That's a, a definite area of need. And so, you know, senior centers in some cases may have the capacity to be able to provide that service um, along with some of the other things that they do. So, you know, overall, I think that um, with our focus on wellness, we use the eight dimensions of wellness model that looks at, um, you know, each aspect of a person's life to try to find some balance 
in in their um, their their wellness and and the way that they age. So I, I think that we're well positioned to help people um, age in such a way that the the if they do experience disability, that it will be minimized and, and it will be pushed further and further toward the end of life so that people can uh, be productive and they can enjoy their lives in the community for as long as possible and be productive. Because I, I think that that's really the, the dream of everybody is to be able to have that kind of experience where they're aging well. Um, they're able to be as independent as possible for as long as possible. And I think that, you know, senior centers are um, well positioned to be able to uh, maybe steer that conversation and, and point that out for folks. Well, thank you, Dan. And uh, thank you, everyone who has uh, helped bring this podcast together today. Any other concluding remarks from Steve or Sue? This is Steve. I'd just like to say I agree with Dan on a lot of what he said, especially the role that the senior centers will play. And I think it's very important that they're all brought into the discussion so they can all be equally prepared, because I think some are, as with any entity, some are better prepared than others. And um, I think the willingness is probably there. It's just making sure they all have this access to the same resources and information. And that's why I think um, this podcast and this coalition and this work that you're doing is so important because it's bringing us all to the table so we can be educated equally and and all start at the same playing field. So um, I think this is a wonderful thing and I look forward to um, all that's coming up in the future and all the exciting things that we'll be able to do to to solve these issues before they even become an issue. Thank you, Steve. Sue, did you have some comments? I would just reiterate what Steve and Dan both said. Um, in regard to um, planning um, for the future for what's going to be happening in 2024. And, you know, I, I, I think that um, we have the ability to do some great work and planning for this. I, too, remember the deinstitutionalizing of um, mental health hospitals. I worked in the field at the time. Um, and I certainly would like to be better prepared um, than, than, than we were back then for that. Um, so I, I would just reiterate what, what Dan and Steve both said and, and to look at the models and to pull from local assets that you are, may already have in your community. Well, thank you, QSource, for the opportunity to have this conversation today and, and share it across Indiana. And uh, as the Indiana Commission on Aging um, spokesperson here today, I, I would say I know that together we can, can meet the challenge of population aging. Uh, and this is certainly our hope. And uh, I am just very encouraged by, by our conversation today. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org slash conversation podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Content does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.